Good morning. Starting a new series today. It's entitled 40 Days of Prayer, the key to a good prayer life. We're going to spend the next six weeks focused on prayer and communication with God because whether you've thought much about it or not, the truth is every one of us has been made. We've been made by God to be able to communicate with him. And sometimes we take that seriously and sometimes we let that slide. But the fact is God wants to communicate with us. We were made for that and we miss out greatly in life when we are not in communication with him. So we're going to focus the next 40 days, next roughly six weeks on uh, this, uh, this subject. And today, as I've said, we're going to focus on the key to a good prayer life. I want to ask you, when was the last time you stopped all activity you turned off your cell phone, the TV, the radio, whatever it is that you got noise and going on in your life. When was the last time you turned all that off and listened to nothing louder than the wind? When do you turn off the treadmill of your mind? When do you exit Facebook and Instagram? Do you actually turn your cell phone off at night? You ever do that? Ever? When do you intentionally get away from your kids? When do you intentionally leave the office you know, and leave everything behind? When do you intentionally hide your to-do list for a day? When do you do that? When are you just still and silent? No activity, no noise, no rushing. The truth about most of us is that we like the idea of stillness. We like the idea of quiet, peacefulness, these kinds of things, right? We like the idea of it. We just don't want to do what it's going to take to experience that. We prefer activity. We prefer noise. Some of us walk into a quiet room and we reflexively turn on a TV or a radio or something because we're so, we're so nervous if there's not noise. This morning, I want you to understand that the key to a good prayer life in most respects is stillness. It's a key to much of the spiritual life. See, stillness offers you and me opportunities that noise and busyness don't. Stillness offers you and me opportunities for reflection. Offers us a chance to prioritize our lives when we're still. Stillness provides us with time for inner peace and rest and quietness of spirit. And more than that, stillness offers us a window through which we can begin to see God's activity in the world and not just the blur of our own. It's part of why the scripture says, Psalm 46, verse 10, Be still and know that I'm God. Maybe some of us need to write that verse down, take it home, and just put it in some prominent place in our lives. Put it on your desk, put it in your, the sink in your bathroom where you get around in the morning, and put, put it somewhere prominent. God wants us to periodically quiet ourselves so we can be reminded who's in control, who's God, who's not. I'm not. He is. There's... Something else, though, to be gained by learning to be still. And as I was just pointing out a few moments ago, it's stillness offers you and me the perfect setting to express our hopes and needs and prayers to our living and loving God. And it's the perfect setting to receive from Him 
clear guidance, comfort, encouragement, strength of spirit to live the lives that we all have to live. Stillness has always been the key to communication with God, the key to prayer. Let me illustrate what I mean from the Bible. And I recognize what I'm talking about runs very contrary to our, to our natural lives, but we've got to wrestle with this, and this morning I'm hoping that we'll do this. If you look at the Bible in the Old Testament, when Moses was off tending his father-in-law's sheep in the mountains, you'll remember it, but it was during that time, during a moment of stillness, a moment of quiet and solitude, that God got his attention with a burning bush that didn't burn up. If he was in a flurry of activity, if there was lots of noise going on, he probably would have seen the bush, wouldn't have recognized it wasn't burning up. But because he was in a moment of stillness, he turned aside for what he was doing, and Scriptures talks about he took his sandals off and spent the next little bit of time interacting with God. And over the course of his life, if we had time to track through Moses' life, he was called a friend of God because of his humility and because on a, if you, you know what the tent of meeting was all about in the Old Testament? It was, a, it was a place just outside of the main camp where every day Moses left and went out there to meet with God. It was a daily practice in his life. We could talk about the prophet Elijah who fled, the, uh, fled to the mountain of God after Jezebel threatened to kill him. And in a moment of stillness, he poured out his heart to God and in the process heard God speak back to him in a quiet whisper that strengthened his spirit, that gave him confidence to face what was before him, that gave him clear instruction of what to do next, gave him hope. You'd argue that perhaps part of the hopelessness of our society is that we are we're living at a frenetic pace, a blur of activity, with no pause in stillness to hear God give us hope. A word of instruction, a word of encouragement, a word of, word of replenishment. If we took our time through the Bible, we could find our way to the Apostle Peter who, to escape the distraction of other people in the house in Acts uh, chapter 10, went up on top of the flat roof of his home and he went there alone so he could pray. And not only in that moment did he hear, did God hear his needs, but he spoke to Peter about the needs of another man, Cornelius. And you and I are believers in Jesus, those of us who are not of Jewish orientation, Jewish heritage, because of that moment. I could go on and on with instances like these. The scriptures are packed full of accounts of ordinary people praying to God and hearing messages from God during moments of solitude, silence, and stillness. And it doesn't mean that God can't speak in the midst of a blur of activity. What it means is you learn to hear God speak in the blur of activity when you have first learned to hear Him in stillness and silence. In solitude. The one precedes the other. I've learned my boys' voices. I can, I can pick them out of a crowd at this point. But you know why? Because I've spent so much time with them in private. They would be the same with me. This is just the way it works. Stillness has always been the key to communicating with God. And 
You know, there was a time in my life a number of years ago when I read stories like the ones I shared with you about Moses and just tracked his life. And it was amazing what God did through the man's life. Uh, you read about Elijah. I was fascinated with him as a young person. As I think back over Peter and Paul and all the apostles, just amazed at what God did through their lives. I would read accounts like this of how they prayed and how God met them and spoke to them. And I thought, you know, if it's true, as scriptures say, that ordinary, that they were ordinary people like me. And if it's true, as scripture says, that God is the same yesterday, today and forever, then why don't I ever hear from God? I mean, what's the gap? I mean, why, why am I not hearing from him? One day it finally dawned on me. I didn't have any solitude, any silence, any stillness in my life. It was one of them. It was the, the obvious big gap between their lives and mine. I mean, if you looked at my life at that stage, uh, you'd say, you know, he loves action, adrenaline, and he loves adrenaline, and he loves adrenaline, which comes with competition and crowds and music and practical jokes and a whole lot of other things that I liked during that stage of my life. There were very few quiet, still moments in my type A extroverted mind back then in life. But by contrast, most of the people in the scriptures who had vibrant prayer lives, who seemed to periodically hear God speak to them on some level, they had personally cultivated a still heart, a quiet mind, an open spirit before God. They had set aside in their schedule some routine moments for stillness, reflection, and it hit me. None of that was present in my life. And if I wanted to learn to hear from God, if I wanted to learn to pray like the people of old prayed, if I wanted to see heaven and earth move through my prayers as people in the past have seen and as a few people in our generation here, if I, if I want to see that, then I'm going to have to learn to quiet my mind, my heart, my life. I'm going to have to learn to slow down and be still. I'm going to have to embrace stillness. Instead of run from it. That's what I thought. Even though it was difficult, I, I chose back at that stage of my life. It's been uh, about three decades ago, maybe a little more than that. I, I chose back then to, be, to begin developing a few habits, a couple in particular that have affected all of those who've gone before us and will affect us and will affect all who go after us. Until Jesus comes, two habits that help you and me learn to be still and learn how to pray. And I think that these habits will be relevant for you. And so the next couple of minutes, I want to talk about these two habits. And my hope is that you'll listen close. And I don't want you to feel judged in this. I don't want you to feel criticism in any way. I want you to, I want you to listen to this and just say, Holy Spirit, what, do you want, what are you wanting for me as we talk about this this morning? Because here's the thing. You were made to communicate with God. You were made for that. That's part of the fuel with which you live life. Jesus said, you man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You remember this in scripture? He says this in Matthew 4. This is one of the responses that he gave the evil one when he was being tempted and tested. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Let me tell you, it comes from the scriptures and it comes from the Holy Spirit, what he does inside of us as we pray in alignment with this. 
You live on this. This is part of the fuel from which you were designed to live. And so for the next few minutes, I'm going to talk about two habits that I would recommend to you that have the ability to help you grow a little more comfortable with stillness and help you, uh, help you learn to pray a little more effectively. The first habit that I commend to you is this. Make stillness a daily discipline. Make it a daily practice, a daily discipline. You have to think of it like this. Just as a regular workout routine will develop and maintain physical fitness, setting aside a regular portion of your day for, quiet, for quietness, for solitude, for reflection, will help you grow into spiritual fitness, will help you become more comfortable being still, will help you become more of a person of prayer. And let me just encourage you to set aside a minimum of 30 minutes, 30 unrushed, quiet, electronics and people-free minutes. Let me say it again. Electronics and people-free minutes. You don't want to be in a quiet moment with God and Facebook notify you that Colin Kaepernick has posted another picture with Nike. You don't want to be in that moment. And you know what I'm saying? It's like, this is the distraction. You don't want to get word that somebody, you know, just took another vacation, you know, or that, that you need this thing. And this is, that's not stillness. That's distraction. You think to yourself, you say to yourself, you go, but I'm so busy. I, I don't know how to do that. I, I've got kids, I have toddlers, preschoolers. You do not understand is what you're saying in your mind as, you, as I'm saying this. Some of you are thinking that. Let me just say, yes, you can do this. You may not know how to do it yet, but that's different than not being able to do it. You can do this. People have been doing it for centuries. I want you to think about Jesus' life with me for a moment. We don't think very deeply about his pattern of living, but Jesus practiced the discipline of stillness before God in spite of his extremely busy life. We don't think about how busy Jesus was, but think about this. I mean, crowds followed Jesus literally everywhere he went. If he crossed the other side of the lake, what did they do? Some of them got in boats and went with him. Some of them ran around the lake so that they could meet him on the other side. And as he was crossing the lake, what was going on? He had a dozen disciples sitting in the boat, bugging him, asking him dumb questions that he'd already told them the answer to. But somehow, the synapses didn't close and they didn't get it. This was Jesus' life for the three and a half years of his ministry, and I would argue it was probably a lot like that before that because he didn't just suddenly get smart at 30, okay? He's God in human flesh. He's brilliant from, from like this. That's why he could go to the temple at the age of 12 and mystify and astound all of the priests, the prophets, the men of God in the temple. I mean, they were astonished when they listened to him, the scripture says, because he was brilliant, not just beyond his years, but beyond his, beyond his flesh. So Jesus, these crowds follow him daily. He's preaching and teaching. He's healing people. Twelve disciples are tagging along 24 hours a day. Do you remember what Jesus' routine practice in the midst of all that was, though? The Bible gives us a glimpse of it in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, when it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, this is where he was at the time where he was resting, 
and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. That's what he did. This wasn't like a one-time occurrence in his life in, in Mark. This was, this was a routine part of Jesus' life. It shows up repeatedly in Scripture. It's why when the night before he's betrayed, the night that he's betrayed, it's not an unusual thing for him to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and pray. It was not a wild guess that Judas made as to where to take the soldiers. Everybody knew where he would be. He would be going there to pray, just as it was not a wild guess when Daniel was confronted and ends up going to the east window to pray every day. And we could work our way through. This is just a, this was a routine, natural part of his life and the life of God's people throughout the centuries. And times of solitude, times of stillness were so important to them, so important to Jesus, that Jesus, God in flesh, had to commonly get up well before everyone else so he could go pour out his heart to the Father and receive comfort and direction and encouragement for his life. And I remember reading all of that and just thinking, if that's important for him, how much more important is it for me? I mean, if he does it to avoid falling into sin and temptation, how much more important is it for me? I don't know about the dynamics of your life, but in mine, people and work projects and crises and family get, get in my way all the time. I mean, they're distractions. They're, they're a, there's a blizzard of this kind of stuff in our lives. There's a blizzard of it in our lives right now more than at any era of time throughout the history of the earth. Because we carry around little electronic devices that can assure that we're distracted. We can't even sit in a conversation at dinner anymore and, and visit without the distraction of, of our little electronic devices. So we've got to be intentional about this. As I reflected on this years ago and began to try to figure out how to create a place of stillness in my life, I thought, you know, I, I began to think about, you know, if, if I wait until the end of the day to try and find a moment of stillness in my life with all the stuff I had going on at that stage, you know what most of my prayers would have sounded like? That's, that's what it would have sounded like. I need a CPAP is what I need. You know, for my prayer life back in that day is what I would have needed. Try to keep me awake, right? Um, it's a little sick humor there, but anyway. You know, for me at the end of the day, probably like a lot of you, stillness just meant sleep. And so that wasn't a very good option for me. And so uh, many years ago, I thought to myself, you know, if Jesus had to get up early in the morning while it was still dark to go out and pray and, and actually leave where he leave his bed and go to another place to pray. I guess maybe, maybe I should just try to do that. The challenge of that was I was not a morning person. I sort of despised morning. You know, some people like the birds, and they just, they like, oh, that wasn't me. I like sleeping. That was what I liked. And so I just thought, I, this is going to be tough. So I decided to succeed at this, I'm going to have to really work to become a morning person. And, I, and, and in particular, I was going to have to train myself to get up at least a full hour before any of the other noisy people in my family if I was actually going to have, you know, an hour of quiet, if I was going to have some quiet and uh, some solitude and silence and uh, time to read my Bible, to pray, to listen to the Holy Spirit and so forth. So uh, I had the best of intentions back at that time, but I quickly discovered my alarm clock. I, I almost brought one this morning because I know some of you are clueless of what one even looks like. 
Um, but um, it's, it's, a, it's an antique, a relic of the past. It was an alarm clock. It was about this big, and it had a little... Anyway, you know, just messing with you. Uh, but I realized that my alarm clock was not capable of consistently motivating me to get up early. At least that early. An hour before anybody else was getting up. It just wasn't capable of it. And uh, every morning in the dark, I would start blaring, I figured out, and somehow or another, without even thinking or waking up, I had the ability to go boom and shut it off. I didn't just hit snooze, I'd shut it off. And it, I, I was gifted at that, just shutting it off. And so, uh, so I thought, this is, this is not going to be as easy as I maybe thought it was going to be a little more difficult. So I moved the alarm clock across the room. Lori loved this period of our lives. <laughs> I moved it across the room so that when it went off, I would have to get out of bed to go turn it off because I thought this will solve it. And the uh, same thing happened every, every morning in the dark, at least a, a, usually more than an hour because I thought if, if I don't give myself 15 to 20 minutes for messing with this stupid alarm, I'm not going to have an hour. So you know, I was way early starting to get up, walk or traipse. I figured out I could wake up with the alarm going off across the room, go over there, shut it off, and go back and crawl in bed and hardly even wake up. Again, I was gifted. And so uh, I thought uh, drastic measures were going to be required here if I was going to succeed at this. And it was at that point that I went to a local hardware store and I bought one of those plug-in light timers. Again, a relic from the past. Some of you have no idea. You, you do this today with electronic devices and apps where you can control your, your furnace, you can control lights, you can do all of this. Back in the day, we had this little, little thing that you plugged into the electric socket and you plugged a lamp into it and you would turn the light on and it had a, you'd set the little mechanical device and it would just tick around in a 24-hour period and every day at 5 in the morning, it would kick on. Suddenly, you would have surgical sweet light in the room. And this is, this is what I did. Lori loved this period. And uh, it, thankfully, the idea came to me because uh, when I started doing that, I, I kind of hooked it up just down the hall a little bit. We had, we had a small duplex at the time. This is before we started Southwoods. And just kind of a little hallway there, very em emphasis on a small duplex, small hall. And so you could have it in the, the, the next bedroom and it would kick on. And where, my, where I slept it was like right in line here. So it kind of shielded Lori from the glory uh, that w would emit from the other room. And uh, so it, we would kick on and I, you know, the alarm would still go off too. And I finally, the combination of it all just so annoyed me day after day that I finally got to where I could get up and had a little chair in there that was right next to where the light was. And I started most days, probably, probably four to five days of the week during that era, got to where I was being pretty consistent about stillness becoming a discipline for me. And I would read my Bible and I would pray and I would try to listen to the Holy Spirit. And I have to tell you, as we moved, you know, I got a different chair in a different place in the house today, but some of the sweetest moments of my entire life have happened in those chairs. Hope when I didn't have hope. Ideas when I was bankrupt of ideas. Peace when all I felt was anxiety. 
some of the sweetest moments of my life. And I've had some wonderfully sweet moments with my wife and my family, but some amazing sweet moments in those chairs. There's nothing like when God shows up in a moment. There just isn't. And I could have been praying behind the wheel of my car as I was driving somewhere. And, and that's great when you just got to vomit whatever's going on inside of you to God. Doesn't work very well when you're trying to find stillness and listen. And when you need nourishment that can only come from the Holy Spirit. Because about the time he goes to speak, someone drifts into your lane because they're texting. And that tends to interrupt things. I want to encourage you, make stillness a daily routine in your life. Maybe you can't make it seven days a week. Start out and make it three days a week, four days a week, five days a week, whatever. Just, just start. And if you'll make it a routine part of your life, some of the sweetest moments of your life, let me just say, are yet to be experienced. They're, they will come. And it's going to happen not because I say it, but because God is faithful. And God is ever-present, and He cares about you, and He knows that you and I are dust. He gets all of that. But He's not about to force Himself on us. He's not into manipulating people. He's into people seeking Him. And when you and I make stillness a part of our lives, what we're doing is, by default, we're seeking Him creating space where when he whispers, we can hear. God will bless your life if you do that. There's one more habit, though, that I learned back in those days that I've tried to continue to cultivate in my life. I would also commend it to you because when you set aside a moment for stillness, this second habit becomes really valuable. You know, during the morning when you're praying, when you're reading your Bible, instead of talking all the time, which any of us who are extroverts, that's a natural tendency. And, and we feel the, the pressure, the stress of whatever's going on in our lives. So the natural tendency is to just start talking, you know. After you've come to the poise where you think, okay, well, somebody is listening. Once you get that settled in your heart, I mean, you start talking to God. And you and I were made for that. But here's the habit, the second habit. Ask God some questions. Ask him some questions in that moment. And then shut up. Be still. Turn your brain. I mean, I don't mean turn your brain off in the sense of like, you just be a zombie. And I, I mean, don't fill in the blanks in, of your question in your own mind. I mean, just, just be still. Just be quiet. Listen so that you can begin to observe what comes to mind. Because in case you hadn't noticed this, Jesus is part of God that has flesh. The scriptures tell us that God the Father is spirit. 
What does that mean? It means that he can speak to you and me and he, because he created all of us and you and I are spirit. We're body, soul, and spirit. We have the capacity to hear and interact with what's non-flesh, non-physical. God can speak to us by way of his spirit to our spirit and we can hear. It's not audible, but we can hear. And when you and I learn to ask questions and then be still, he can speak if we'll pause long enough to listen. Try asking God questions like these. What's, you know, Father, what's the next step in developing my character? Be still and listen. See what he says. Ask him, how can I enhance my relationship with my wife or my husband? Ask him, is there anything I need to be aware of with my children, with my grandchildren, or with my friends? Any, anything you want me to know? Ask him, you know, is there anyone you'd like me to serve in some way? Anyone you'd like me to encourage? Anyone needs an encouraging word, a card? Anything you'd like me to, to say to somebody? You think God cares about those kinds of questions? You bet he does. Often he cares about them more than we do. And sometimes we don't ask those questions. I don't even ask those questions sometimes because it's like I, he cares about those things more than I do. I'm, I'm so self-absorbed in what's going on in my life that they, they escape my awareness unless I pause long enough to say, okay, what really matters in life and to begin to think and pray. And Do you see what I'm saying? Why this stillness is so important for us. You know, I've never heard God speak audibly, but I have to say that often when I ask the kinds of questions I just described and sit silently, specific, practical, Christ-like ideas start coming to mind. When I first started experimenting with this years ago, I was surprised at how how good some of the ideas that came to me in those moments were, frankly. I was surprised that they were better than most of my ideas. After I reflected on it, I dawned on me, if the Holy Spirit has given me an idea, it by definition is probably better than what I would naturally think of. Then I remembered as well as I reflected on it, Jesus saying these words and is more true than I gave him credit for, I think, back in those days. In Matthew 7, verse 7, Jesus is recorded as saying, keep on asking and you'll be given what you ask for. Keep on knocking or keep on looking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open. And look at verse 8. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and the door is open to everyone who knocks. It's all in the context of prayer where he's talking about here. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? There is nothing that God cares about more in this world than you and me becoming like Jesus and his kingdom reaching and blessing and transforming others in our world. This is, this is what his 
primary focus in the world is. So don't be afraid to ask our father about next steps for your character, your kids, his role in your life. Ask God for suggestions on how to serve him better in your workplace. Ask him questions like, how can I better get along with that particular person and fill in the blank? Ask him, how can I help someone who's in need? And then listen to the names, the people he brings. you. And do not be surprised if somebody comes to your mind that you hadn't thought about for a while. And then if you reach out, as he maybe prompts you to do, don't be surprised if, like, your timing is impeccable. Because it isn't that you're that good. It's just you had insider information. See? Ask God, what direction should my dating relationship go? Ask God, how should I further my education? Ask God, ask God, ask God, ask God. Because Jesus says, ask and you'll receive Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. And as you reflect on that, you know, if, if you're praying, oh God, how do I advance the, how do I enhance the relationship between me and my wife? And he says, have an affair. Did I just hear from God? No. Y you don't have to be, you know, a theologian to do this. You just have to have the humility of spirit to ask and, and kind of remember what he says. Because whatever you ask of the Lord, if you're humble and patient and still before him, you will find that some of the quiet moments in, in God's presence that result will be incredibly precious to you. And if you're like I was, you will find that they're a whole lot more practical than I might have imagined. And surprise, surprise, they work. I could add, you know, most of my good ideas over the years, most of them, it's probably all of them. I just can't catalog them all, but so we'll say most. Most, most all of the good ideas on a personal level, in ministry, on a relational level, whatever, including the decision to start this church, including the decision to do this series right now, come about because of this habit. Setting aside stillness and learning to ask the Holy Spirit questions. Mark and I went to North Africa earlier this year because of this habit. Some of the things that we've done in Hero Makers, lots of things we've done here because of this habit. Lots of changes in our lives because of this habit. My son Joey, who's running the sound this morning when he was, when he was born and sick, sick, sick for six months in the hospital. Every day we'd stare at the schedule of stuff, the charts that just said this is incompatible with life, He's, he'll die any minute. I mean, literally, I, you th think I'm exaggerating. I am so not exaggerating. That is an understatement of how messed up his body was. We'd stare at that, and I just remembered inside this whole, this is like the Holy Spirit just saying, don't give up. As long as he has breath, you pray for his healing. Yeah, so we weren't in denial of what the charts said, but every day we prayed that God would heal him. 
He's running soundboard today at a console that he made, okay, in our shop. I could go on and on with this stuff. It's some of the most precious things that have happened in my life have happened in those moments, and I want you to understand, some, you were made for this, we were made for this, some of the most precious things that can happen in your life. Some of us struggle with an identity and self-worth issues because we've never sat still long enough to listen to the Holy Spirit say, I chose you, I made you, and you know it's not somebody else feeding you a bunch of crap. You know it's coming from the Holy Spirit, and He's saying it to you. Some of us are so stressed about money things, and maybe we've vomited our anger and frustration. God, why don't you do this? God, why don't you do that? We've never sat long enough to just listen to maybe why God hasn't done that yet. Maybe we've just not gotten the idea that he wants us to do differently so that money can flow. I mean, we, there's a principle in Scripture, and it'll come out in the course of the series, we often have not because we don't ask. And we don't ask because there's no stillness to hear a response to what we're asking. So that's why I say and begin the series with this. Stillness, stillness is the key to a good prayer life. It's the key. It's the ball game in our generation. No stillness. You may figure out a way to vent all of your stuff heavenward, but you'll never get a response back. And it's not because God's not speaking. It's because it, we're deaf and it's so much noise we can't hear him. So I want to ask you this morning, what's it going to take for you to make stillness a habit in your life, a routine practice? I recognize that, I mean, you cannot make the whole day stillness, but here's what happens. It's like if you can create a space in your life, a routine space of 30 minutes to 60 minutes, something like that, every day. Maybe it's early in the morning before everybody gets up, and maybe you figure out what you got to get to get yourself out of bed. Do it. But you kind of create the space. What ends up happening is you get to where suddenly you're fed in your spirit through, through God's presence in those moments, and and you get to where you can hear his insight and his wisdom and you get, you get a sense of the tone and the nature, the spirit of his, the nature, his nature so that you even know what's being said based on the tone of voice, which is hard to describe when you're talking inaudible, but, but the Holy Spirit has a tone of voice that you'll be able to pick up on and what happens is once that becomes routine in your life, suddenly as you're going through the frenetic, frenetic chaotic days, uh, he can counsel you on the fly because suddenly you've learned to recognize his voice. And you won't be second-guessing it all the time because you know it's him. You've heard him. You've heard him in the quiet still moments, so you know when it's noisy that it's him. So what do you got to do to create space for that process to begin? Or maybe you've had that at some point in your life and you look back and you just think, I've lost that. What's it going to take for you to get back there? We set aside some time 
Will you reduce some of the noise in your life? Will you modify your pace? What do you need to say no to in your schedule so you can say yes to a growing, vibrant, interactive prayer life with God? If you'll change what needs to be changed, your life will grow more still. You'll have a greater sense of God's presence with you than you've had in Maybe ever, some of you. I want to help you all grow in this, and so that's part of why we're doing this series. We've got a tool here that uh, it's 40 Days of Prayer. This is actually, the, the title of this series actually was originally uh, uh, Rick Warren, who's uh, Saddleback Church out in California. He came up with the title, and we're using some of the resources that they've got from the series. The messages are different than his, but um, this is a devotional guide that we've got. And we've got several of them over there. I don't think we've got enough for everybody this morning, but my hope is that you'll go over there, you'll look at one, and if you want one, uh, if we don't have enough, that you'll sign up and we'll order some more because we can get them this week. But for uh, what it is, it's like every day, it's a little devotional guide inside, and this is, just happens to be day 17. And on this side, there's a verse or two of Scripture and over here, on this side, a little column, a little one page. You know, it's not like you're writing a novel or something. You just, little, what, what did you hear God say here in this passage? And you can kind of write about it. A little, a couple lines for what do you think about that? I mean, how does it apply to your? How might it apply to your life? And then a little item at the bottom. You know, what's your prayer about that? Just an opportunity. Here's, here's the idea. For forty days. Create a little stillness, a little quiet, a little spot in your life where there's not chaos, where it's you and God, and let this be a help, a tool. You know, we've got these over here. Uh, we paid $7 a piece plus shipping and handling. If you can give us 10 bucks, that allows us to give a few away along the way, maybe somebody who doesn't have the resources to pick one up. If you can't afford it, grab one anyway because we want you to have it but there's this devotional guide I would encourage you if you'll take this and use it I know God will meet you in the midst of this and in the coming days if we'll be still we'll be reminded that God is God and he wants to be a part of our lives so hope you'll be a part of this whole series with us let's stand together we're going to close in prayer if you need prayer for anything in your life this morning uh, come on down afterwards. We'd be happy to pray for you about whatever. Um, if you've never given your life to Jesus and you know, you're just thinking, um, I need him. We want to help you with that. We want to help you just invite him into your life. We want to pray over you and just give you, give you some resources to help you take next steps and grow and connect you with some others who are already on that journey. But we want to help you with that, okay? Let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed. And uh, those books are right over there, and Lori will be over there. In fact, she's already there. So we'll pray, and then we'll be dismissed. Glad you made it this morning. Join me on this 40-day uh, journey of prayer here. Heavenly Father, we're thankful that you hear our prayers, that you know our needs before we ask them, and that you, Lord Jesus, said, if we'll ask, we'll, we'll find, if we'll seek, we'll... Uh, We'll discover more of you. We'll find, we'll seek you. We'll just find you. We need you. 
And so help us as we learn to do this in practical levels in our lives. Oh, Lord, you know better than we just the noise of our generation. Help us to find stillness and help us in the process to find you. God, we'll give you credit for every good thing that happens, every good idea, every blessing you bring, every need that you highlight that you want us to do something about. We'll endeavor with all that is within us to follow you and to quite literally on a level of precision that we don't think seriously about often. We want to be Jesus' hands and feet. We want to do what he would do if he was in our place and we know this is This is key to doing that, so help us. Father, you know those among us who never embraced Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. We know that you have embraced them. You've embraced all of us. You already did that on the cross, Lord Jesus. Help us to look heavenward, to choose you this morning, today. we might become more like you and be cherished by you as we were made to be. Would you go with us now as we leave this place? May we not just hear these things today, but may we put them into practice. We'll rejoice to be your children. We lift this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.